as I said, we had a, a good Sunday. Uh, we thank you for all of those that were involved and helped and um, uh, served and worked on outside and built uh, Angry Birds uh, thing and had trunk trunk or treat and treats for the kids and. Um, just appreciate all the sacrifices people have made for our children, and I, I, I think it's um, it's a, a great uh, ministry just to try to give them a, a fun time, few hours, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But we're we're glad you're here. Uh, we are growing apostolic legacy, and um, <clears throat> it's not coming up on my. Uh, there it is. Uh, it's kind of low in the back. I don't know if that's anything that can be adjusted. But um, <clears throat> the Gospel of John is what we've been studying. And I know I am, am hitting a few points, hopefully, that are a little different than necessarily what you would normally think of, kind of maybe a little bit from a uh, writer's perspective of of John, not uh, all of the sermon material that could be talked about because each uh, chapter, each few verses, you could have a lesson, you could have an entire sermon, maybe even, if you will, a series of sermons. And um, I know that um, before we have to go overseas, I won't be able to finish the book of John, but uh, it is a, a great, great book. It's one of the last uh, gospels that were written. Uh, one of the one of the last books. John was kind of one of the uh, last um, uh, that had survived through after the Isle of Patmos and so forth. Wrote the book of Revelation. Wrote first, second, and third John and then wrote this gospel and wanted it to be for Jews and Samaritans and uh, put a lot in it that referenced uh, the Jewish people. And in fact, we read in the sixth chapter last week was when Jesus made the statement about eat my flesh, drink my blood, and how offensive they, that was to the Jews because they don't eat meat that has blood in it. That's part of their, what it goes all the way back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so Jesus makes a statement, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it just was more than a lot of them could handle. And even the disciples acted like, you know, this is beyond where we were. They could not understand the spiritual implications of this. No matter how many times Jesus tried to explain to them, and I think John was writing from the perspective of having been there and listened to the explanations and not understanding it, and then on the other side of Pentecost, realizing, wow, when he said this, that's what that was referencing. And it's as if he were 
at that point recognizing what all of that was. And uh, of course, at the end of that sixth chapter, Jesus asked the disciples, will you also go away? And Simon basically said, to whom would we go? You alone hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Now, at that point, Jesus said, I've chosen 12 of you, and one of you is a devil. So it, it lends us to recognizing that Jesus knew who Judas was, and Jesus knew what Judas was all about, and yet Jesus refused to uh, personally attack Judas, refused to uh, try to get rid of him, uh, refused to say, you get out of this group. Uh, you can say, well, he wanted, needed Judas to betray him. But, you know, um, most of the time, if we knew we had someone that didn't like us, well, we don't want to necessarily like them either. We don't want to be around them either. And yet Jesus allowed that to happen. And then he actually uh, walked uh, to Galilee. Uh, and he, he said, I don't want to go back down to Jerusalem uh, right now because the Jews. And if you will notice, he says, uh, he calls them, John calls them the Jewry uh, in that first verse. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee and he would not walk in Jewry. And what that meant was where these Pharisees, where the Sadducees, where the elite of the uh, children of, of Israel, the Jews were, because the Jews sought to kill him. And then it says the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. Now, Tabernacles was one of three feasts where the Jews had been ordered to come to Jerusalem. So, um, he tells uh, his disciples, uh, you go and I will uh, stay here. And that feast is commonly known as Sukkoth or uh, Sukkoth. And it is, a, it is one of three feasts. When you look, there are the three main feasts. You have our, uh, first of all, Passover. And what does Passover represent? What does it go back to? The lamb put over the doorpost, coming out of Egypt. And what are the Jews all supposed to do? Have a meal, and they're supposed to kill a lamb, and they're supposed to eat bitter herbs, and they celebrate all of that to this day. And then they have the Feast of Tabernacles with a sukkah, which is they actually build little booths. They have little structures. They have little tents, if you will. They put up poles and they have little groups of, and they go, and every night for seven nights, they go sleep in this little tent. Sometimes they put them out on their balcony. If you've ever been in Jerusalem, you'll see them, or, or they'll go outside in the backyard, and it's like camping out under this little 
makeshift tent, and then they also uh, do something else, and that is they pour out water because what followed them in their journey out of Egypt, what did they get water out of? The rock. And so they will a lot of times go and have a ceremonial pouring out of water during this feast. So this feast is to remind them. And in that regard, I would say it's, it's extremely powerful that twice a year they are reminded that, you know what, we were brought out of Egypt. We wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We were brought out of Egypt. We wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And they make their family go sleep out under this little tent. They make their family all come together and eat this meal. And we, I say we, Christians, you know, Christmas almost becomes a you know, uh, people don't, they want to make it Xmas. They don't want to put Christ in it. So what holiday do Christians have? Well, we have Easter. And we remember the death of the Lord, I guess, is about the only one because Christmas is almost taken away. And... <clears throat> The point of, of all of that is um, Jesus said, uh, there's no man that doeth anything in secret and he himself seeketh to be known openly and if they, thou do these things, show thyself to the world. They were saying this to Jesus because they were like saying, go have the showdown. Go to Jerusalem. Don't be, don't be hiding up here. You know, you don't have to be in secret. Go down there and show yourself. And what's sad is verse 5, neither did his brethren believe in him. So in other words, here he was in Galilee and the people where Nazareth was in Galilee, they didn't believe in him. The people in Jerusalem were wanting to kill him. And at that, up until this time, who were the only ones that had believed who he was were the Samaritans. You remember he had gone to the Samaritan woman beside the well in chapter 4? And so Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come. Now he makes that statement numerous times. And then he said, but your time is already. And we know Exodus uh, basically tells about the three times of keeping the feast, the feast of unleavened bread and um, the feast of harvest and then the first fruits of thy labors and the feast of ingathering, which is at the end of the year and you gather all of your labors into the field. So 
uh, three times. So you have this and Pentecost and Passover, and this was the time when you came and everybody was supposed to go. So Jesus tells his disciples, you go, I'm not going to go. My time is not yet fully come. And then he uh, stayed in Galilee, and when his family left, then he went also to the feast. Not openly, but as it were in secret. Now you may say, well, why would he do that? And then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? So it's like Jesus knew their secret conversations. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. Now we know this is our second Passover, so we're swiftly coming to the end of his three years, three and a third years before he's going to end up being crucified. For some said he is a good man, others said no, he deceives people, and yet no man spoke openly, spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now Jesus shows up and he starts dialoguing with some. Some didn't know who he was. And he said, I've done one work and you all marveled. And then he makes some very strong statements here. I don't know what happened. There we, um, uh, next slide. Uh, one more. There we go. Uh, still way low on the screen in the back, but it's whatever. Um, Jesus answered and said to them, I've done one work, you all marveled. Moses gave unto you circumcision. Now Jesus is going to address another one of the Jews' Um, major marks of distinction, major mark of we're in covenant relationship because circumcision of the Jews was, of course, not widely done, not widely known, was not a practice that most cultures had, and so it was unique to Judaism, uh, very unique. Now, I, I understand now probably it's more uh, widely accepted and whatever, but the point of it is at this time, circumcision was this, boy, that was a distinction that, that identified a Jew versus anybody else on the planet. And he says, um, Moses gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. Now, why is he going into all of this? Why is he even talking about circumcision? Because he has healed a man on the Sabbath. And they were upset that he broke the Sabbath law. And Jesus was trying to explain to them you can circumcise on the Sabbath as a distinct
extension of the covenant, God allows that, Moses allows that, and it's, that doesn't break the law. But when I make someone whole, heal them on the Sabbath, you are mad. You get upset. So what he was basically trying to show them was, guess what? It is not the law that's bad. It's your interpretation of the law that's bad. And the law would allow you to establish a covenant. The law should allow me to heal. So sometimes people say, well, Jesus violated the law when he healed on the Sabbath. Well, he violated their interpretation of the law. You understand? It was like, that's not, we, I don't have to do this. And so he goes on, if a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision and the law of Moses is not broken, are you angry with me because I made somebody whole on the Sabbath day? This healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Go ahead, next slide. And so then he makes this statement that is, very powerful. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. <clears throat> now immediately some were like, wow, isn't this the guy that we see that everybody is seeking to kill? And he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? How be it we know this man, whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. So Jesus has tried to explain to them that their interpretation is wrong. Now, when they come around, they seek to take him, and yet no man would lay hands on him because they would kept saying his hour was not yet come. Now, what are we going to hear when we get to John 17 and he's praying in the garden, mine hour has come. So John has repeatedly said, Jesus' hour was the crucifixion, that going into the passion. That's what it was all about. It was about dying, about shedding his blood. It was about all of those things. That's what it was. Now, on the last day, great verses at the end of this 37th chapter, of 7th chapter, starting at verse 37. The last day, the great day of the feast, here they come marching down, the Pharisees, with large water pots that they got, not from the pool of Bethesda, but from the pool of Siloam. And they, the reason the pool of Bethesda probably was a heathen uh, pool uh, dedicated, if you remember, we talked about that, dedicated to the Greek God of healing. And that's why Jesus never told the man that he spit in his eyes to wash in the pool of Bethesda. He said, wash in the pool of Siloam because he, he didn't want the guy going, oh, look, I got healed by washing in this water that was dedicated to a Greek God. And so he says, 
He sees them, and Jesus makes this statement. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly, out of his innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. And John explained in the next verse, this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not been crucified, his blood had not been shed, and yet he was speaking prophetically about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. What a powerful word that you and I can have rivers of living water flowing out of us. That nothing can stop it. You, you take it with you. You take it wherever you go. There's something about the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, whatever you want to call it, that can flow out. That means that if you're in the middle of the hospital, if you're in the middle of a whatever, you can just all of a sudden raise your hand. What a privilege. And feel the presence of God flow out of you. You don't have to go to a special shrine or you don't have to go to a, come to church or you don't have to go and bow down before a statue. And for them, the Romans, it was go to a temple, go to this place, go to that place. And Jesus now says, and now we have it where it'll flow out of you. Now, immediately when he said this, Many of the people, when they heard this saying, they said, of truth, this is a prophet, is the prophet. Why? Because they were celebrating Succoth, the tabernacle. They were pouring out water. They knew Go back one slide. There it is. Of truth, this is the prophet. This is the Christ. Why? Because they were, they were celebrating the feast of the tabernacles. They were building these little structures. They were going out and sleeping in the tabernacle. And they were, they've had this ceremony where they brought water. And Jesus says to them, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know what? Ezekiel, the 47th chapter. The Lord carried Ezekiel to the tabernacle. And what did he see? Water flowing out. And he said it was ankle deep. And it was thigh deep. And it was so much I couldn't swim over it. And immediately for you to talk about water flowing out from a tabernacle and Jesus now has identified himself <clears throat> as a tabernacle. Now, John has talked about him in the first chapter as being the tabernacle. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. 
and the word was made flesh, and it says dwelt, that's, it's the same Greek word, tabernacled among us, temple in John the second chapter, the bread. Now he is grabbing hold of Ezekiel's vision, and they start quoting this. Hath not the scripture said that Christ comes of the seed of David? Because, why? They said, this is the Christ. And then the others said, it can't be the Christ because Christ can't come from Galilee and we know he was born, he's from Nazareth. And out of the town of Bethlehem where David was, so because some of them didn't know Oh, little town of Bethlehem. They didn't realize he had been born in Bethlehem because he grew up in Nazareth. So a lot of them just was like, there's no way. It's got to be from Bethlehem. It's got to be from Bethlehem. And Yet some of them were like, yeah, but he's talking about water. He's talking about the tabernacle. He's saying all these things. Surely this must be the Christ. So there was this division among who they were. And the chief priests and the Pharisees basically sent people out to get him and they asked them, why did you not bring him? And the rest of this seventh chapter, the officer said, never man spake like this man. Twice using the Greek word for a human. Never a human spake like this human. Why? Because he was, he was all man, but he was also The Logos, the Word became flesh. So, <clears throat> immediately the Pharisees asked him, are you guys deceived? And have any of the rulers or have the Pharisees believed on him? Look, we don't believe. And he said, this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. So basically what they said was, you know, if, you, if it doesn't come through us, you can't get this. You don't have any right to believe that this guy could be the Christ. And Nicodemus now shows up, the same one that was in John the third chapter, and had asked him, talked to him, and Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, doth our law judge any man before it hears him and knows what he does? And immediately they turned on Nicodemus and said, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet. So what we see is part of it was this sense of we are the Jewry, you are from Galilee, you can't have, you can't be getting what it was, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And every man went to his own house. And it's like, there's no way you can understand what has been said. And they kind of all dispersed. And then you run right into John 8. 
scribes and Pharisees brought him a woman taken in adultery, set him in his midst. They were going to tempt her. We know the story. And basically they said, you know, she was taken in the very act. And why is that? Because they want him to violate the law. They want him to be caught. If he says she's innocent, there's two or three witnesses, then the fact is that he is violating the law. She should be stoned. She was caught in the act of adultery. So what does Jesus do? He starts writing in the ground. We don't know what he wrote. We don't know if he wrote, uh, I saw you yesterday. I know you lied on your taxes. I don't know what he wrote. Whatever he wrote. He started writing probably the sins of those that were around. And the, John wrote when they heard it being convicted of their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in their midst. Now, what did Jesus ask her? Where are your accusers? Why did he ask that? Because it's already been established in the mouth of... So, he could have been asked, is she guilty? He would have probably, because he was Jesus, had to have said yes. If one person would have stayed and said, I saw her, she's guilty... then by law, she would have had to have been convicted, stoned, all right? So when she answered, no man, Lord, Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now this is before the Holy Ghost. This is before you know, baptism in Jesus' name. Before repentance was, well, it was being preached by John. And he tells her, don't, I want you to stop sinning. So when somebody tells you, well, I can't help it, I just can't help, well, I'm not sure I agree with all of that. Anyway, because he told this woman, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. If she could not have stopped, why would Jesus ask, tell her to stop? But he felt like she could. And then what does he say? Spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the, now he brings it another, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? The light of life. The Pharisees basically, now they start arguing that you are the only one that's saying you are the light. And they basically said, you know what? You bear record of yourself and your record is not true. And Jesus then gets into a discussion with the Pharisees. I don't bear record of myself, yet my record is true. 
For I know whence I came and whether I go, but you cannot tell me whence I come and whether I go. You judge after the flesh, I judge no man. Now, what, what was he meaning? Yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, and I and the Father that sent me. What, what was he basically saying? He was saying, I am not, I, yes, I could tell you that it's because of what I said, but this is why I've done miracles. This is why I've, I've healed. This is why John preached about me, because all of these were bearing record of who I am. He could have said, the Samaritans have believed, others have believed, why aren't you believing? You know, and it's, yet when he made the statement, I am the light of the world, the Jews again knew what he was talking about. For Isaiah, 60th chapter says, arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. That's why John said, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see? He said, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles... That's in Isaiah, shall come to thy light, the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Now, interestingly enough, probably there was the whole discussion of this guy was illegitimate because some were probably saying he was born a child of the Holy Ghost. So what did they do? They said, where is your father? because they wanted to know. So we get the idea, probably Joseph was gone. They were not gonna say that about where Joseph, but where's your father? You don't have a dad, you were illegitimate. Jesus said, you don't know me or my father. If you'd known me, you'd known my father. He goes on and he gets pretty in their face. He says, you're from beneath, I'm from above. You are of this world and I'm not of this world. And then he says, I say unto you, you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, meaning the prophet, meaning the Christ, you shall die in your sins. And of course, the Jews who like to debate basically said, who art thou? Jesus said, the same that I said unto you from the beginning. He goes on down to say, Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's why when people are not, don't want to be honest, people don't want to be real, you know, people don't want to be candid about where they are, what they're going through, where the, what's, what's happening. You know, unfortunately, there's no freedom in that. If you live a duplicit lifestyle, 
hide behind, well, you know. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, immediately, how did they respond to that? Almost laughable. Because here they were under Roman occupation. And what did they say? We are Abraham's seed and never been in bondage to any man. How do you say you'll make us free? And then he makes a very powerful statement. Whosoever commits sin is what? The servant of sin. So if, you know, you say, well, and, and that's where people don't realize, okay, well, I've got this addiction, I got this problem, I've got this that I do, I got this. Guess what? You're serving that. And he again says, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. What does that mean? That, that he will give you the paper that you can go to the devil and say, devil, you can't bind me by this. Because of the blood, it's been broken. Oh, does that mean I may struggle with it? Yep, but guess what? You can't. I'm going to keep struggling. I'm going to set some boundaries. I can be set free. I do not have to live my life bound to this. Now, this is a huge deal when you think in terms of at this time, Slavery was okay. There were slaves all over the then known world. And so if all of a sudden somebody says, you can be free and I make you free indeed, this was like, wow. And they kept going back to, well, we have Abraham for our father. Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the work of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man, and he identifies himself as a man. He didn't say, God manifests in the flesh. He basically said, I am a man that told you the truth. They couldn't handle it if he said, I am the Christ. I am the prophet. I am the son of God. So he just identifies himself as a man. Okay, I'm a man. Just say, I'm a man and I told you the truth and you, don't, and you can't handle that. Which I've heard of God. This did not Abraham. He said, you do the deeds of your father. And now they get to the crux of the matter and they said, we be not born of fornication. What were they basically saying is you were illegitimate. 
we still don't know exactly who your father was. And we have one father, even God. Uh, amazing. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. And you don't understand my speech because you cannot hear my word. And then he tells them who their real father is. You are of your father, what? The devil. And the lust of your father, the desires of your father, you will do. Am I following the lust of the flesh or the lust of God, the desires of God? Jesus told him he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The Jews answered him by saying, Say not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. Now here's what's kind of amazing. Jesus said, I don't have a devil. He didn't say I wasn't a Samaritan because I guess maybe he considered himself as like the good Samaritan. But he said, I don't have a devil, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judges. Verily, if a man say unto me, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. Now we know thou hast a devil, they said. And now they're bringing it home because they're, they're going to play this Abraham card. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? And then Jesus came back with a powerful statement. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Immediately the Jews said, you're not even 50 years old and you believe you've seen Abraham. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones. When was it that Abraham saw God? It's only two times that we know of. One of them when three men showed up two angels and a theophany. And what did they do? They came to Abraham and they said, Abraham, you're going to have a child. Sarah laughed. And you remember the whole story? Genesis, the 18th chapter. And he offered it. And then they told him, we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And two angels went down and got Lot. 
when you read that in the Old Testament, it uses capital letters when it talks about this third angel. And Abraham calls him my Lord. So was that the time? Or was it the time when he's taking Isaac up, his only son, to sacrifice him? And the only son is going to be killed. And Abraham speaks this prophetic, powerful word in Genesis, the 20, the 33rd chapter, 22nd chapter, when he leaves the servant and he's bringing Isaac and Isaac says, Dad, I see fire, I see wood, but I don't see a sacrifice. And what does Abraham say? Powerful, powerful word. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Was that when he's about to plunge a knife and he sees the ram caught in the thicket that Abraham rejoiced? Was it the rejoicing under the... I don't know, but we know that there were other times the lamp went with Abraham through the covenant, but... You know, I could argue very candidly that when, when Abraham saw that ram, there was a, a rejoicing that went from him. My son has been spared because God provided a sacrifice. Who would have thought? And, and, the, and the reason that you would say how powerful is because it wasn't, and you say, why was it a ram and not a lamb? Because a lamb getting caught with their fur, but a ram who has horns to get out and break through, what a miracle it was that a ram would be there and Abraham could sacrifice it. So when you read John 7, John 8, Jesus is repeatedly trying to show the Jews. So when people say, you know, he, he came, started his own religion. He didn't show them. He spent three and a half years showing them. And now he's opened up the door. Now, what does that tell us? I mean, here we are, 2023. If he was that concerned about the salvation of the Jews 2,000 years ago, don't you think he's concerned today? And eventually he's going to turn this whole thing around. And when you and I have looked and I've been shocked, as I'm sure you have, and I'm not, uh, it's not I'm trying to make a political statement, but I'm, I'm, I've been shocked at how much protest and how much vitriol and violence and has been said, you know, we're going to kill the Jews. We're going to kill the Jews on, co on our college campuses. And protests, Columbus, here. People saying, you know what? <clears throat> what does it tell you? And, 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 and it's like this.
powder keg that's fixing to explode. And I don't know if you're like me, but I, I get up in the morning and I look to go, wow, wonder what they started today. Because it's, it's like, you know, and <coughs> I, I have, I've listened and I've read and I've, I've been amazed at, you know, when, at, at such a lack of understanding. I mean, when, um, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor and took out however many ships and there was never a cry for we want to take out the exact number of ships or we want, I mean, we ended up dropping two atomic bombs to try to get the war stopped. I'm not suggesting they drop out atomic bombs, but this is, we're dealing now with countries that have Nuclear power, you, I, I would have, you know, wasn't too many months ago, Netanyahu was in Russia and made news and, you know, all the, and I know, I, I, it's, what are you saying? Are you afraid? No, I, I think it should open our eyes. This, the hour we're living in, in a moment, all the players can align. And the Lord turned back to the Jews. Right now, Bethlehem is under the control of the Palestinians. Part of the West Bank. And so, where Jacob's well is, is under control of the Palestinians. And, you know, I, I, I you know, I, somebody told me a joke the other day and it said, you know, when Moses came out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness and then Joshua crossed over the Jordan River and, and uh, <clears throat> had the rod, the staff of Moses that the Palestinians fought and tried to take it away and The Palestinians responded, no, we didn't. We were not even in Palestine at that time. And the Jewish man at the UN said, you're right. We crossed. You weren't here. My point. I don't know if it's true or not, but you hear and read all kind of things. But you know what? The word of God is true. Amen. Everything else, don't have to believe it. Let's stand. I'm glad I know who Jesus is, aren't you? Good to have all of you in the house of the Lord. Uh, we were going to start tonight, grief share. We're going to push that off till next Wednesday. If you know someone or you've been touched by grief and your family or someone you know and you want to invite, but they're going to be starting that next Wednesday night. It'll be going on while we're having class in here, so don't forget all of those announcements. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your many blessings. I pray you will anoint your word to our hearts and minds. Help us to be quick to see in your word who you are. You are 
indeed the Son of God. You are indeed the prophet. You are indeed the Messiah. You are indeed our Savior. By your name and no other name, everyone, everyone must be saved. Thank you, Lord, for us, that revelation of who Jesus is. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.